Good morning, Lighthouse family. I want to share a scripture with you. Shoot that up there on the slide. Psalm 46, I think, is perfect for today. God is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth may be removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, we will not fear, for there is a river, there's a river, <laughs> whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. And God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. Thank you, God. In Christ alone, we put our trust and we find hope. Let's sing that together this morning. In Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, solid ground. Sing it out. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone. Who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross that Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Death of Christ I live. There in the ground is body laid, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse and lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand, till he returns. Or calls me home. 
my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean, but holy trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name.
This is who you are, we worship. 
we worship you, Lord. You decide, Lord. You are in control, and the whole earth, the whole earth is filled, and the whole earth is filled, and the whole earth is filled, the whole earth, and the whole earth is filled with your glory. Exalt you, Lord. You are exalted in the earth. Amen. Good morning, Lighthouse. Wow, it's been a really long time since I've been here. It's 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 like a blessing, I guess. And uh, they brought me up here today to uh, basically remind everybody that this Wednesday uh, is Veterans Day. Um, pretty confident that we have several members of the veteran family here. Uh, would you all please stand right now uh, with me uh, while we honor those uh, veterans, since we won't be here on that Wednesday. Thank you, thank you. Um, those gentlemen um, and women uh, that uh, have served in our service, uh, we owe them a, a debt of gratitude and uh, a proper, uh, on a daily basis, uh, a thank you. Um, uh, as, a, as a veteran myself, serving in the Marine Corps over 20 years ago, which is crazy to say, because that 20 years is flying, flying by. Uh, so um, I just want to say that on this Wednesday and any day uh, going forward to that, uh, that day, uh, please make sure that... Uh, you give each and every one of them a, a great thank you, um, even those that are still currently serving today as well, too. So uh, bow your heads with us while we pray for those veterans and everything. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, the many blessings that you bestow upon each and every one of us every day. Lord, we want to extend a, a special gratitude out to those that have served in the, in the, in the service of some sort. Um, those folks have paved that way uh, for those current, uh, currently serving in the service. Um, Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you bestow upon this country. Uh, and uh, Lord, just continue to be with us while we go through these next phases uh, of this country. Uh, and uh, again, Lord, we thank you, thank you, and adore you. In your name we pray. Amen. I know, it's kind of awkward wheeling this puppy up here. A lot of you don't remember this. This is a pulpit. Yeah. They, they used to use these year, years ago, uh, in the days of yore. Uh, I know that some of you are not familiar with that year. So uh, I know the modern table and the standing and all the different things that are happening, but I'm really starting to feel my age, Mike, so I'm with you. We're all, we're all starting to feel our age. And it was definitely an interesting week to feel your age, wasn't it? Uh, I'm sure that some of you felt much older. Some of you probably acted much younger. And some of you are really not really too sure where you are, perhaps even this morning. And that's both unfortunate but great, because I can tell you, um, as is with every opportunity I get to speak to you guys, that when Pastor Eric told me six weeks ago, um, I'm going to have you do chapter four, 
and just the first three verses, my first thought was, I get really nervous when it's just a small snippet of God's word, right? I like having big blocks of it. So, you know, like, a, like a, well, Tony's not here, like the, the meat guy, you know, you get to cut up all the different pieces of this and that and just leave that little filet, right? You get to find that little nugget. Sometimes that is in the block of information as, as in a seminary student, we call the pericope, the block of information that is a letter. But when I started to read chapter four and read the second passage in it, there's a word in the second passage that has been part of Jen and I's ministry for 25, 30 years. It's not just a word, it's the word. It's like, it's the motivation behind everything. So as soon as I read that six weeks ago, I was like, oh my gosh, that's going to be awesome. I wonder when it will fall. And then this week occurred and I was just like, oh man, is this timely. I mean, I know about timely things too, because I happen to live in a an environment where someone who's from the red side and someone from the blue side happen to be neighbors. My neighbor, Robin Strachan, and um, she's next door to me all week long, and so there's this constant red and blue struggle going on. And then finally this year, the Lord answered that when the Dodgers won the World Series. (laughs) And the blue prevailed. I know that's probably not the... I'm not going to do... Trust me, I'm the least political pastor you will ever meet. I gladly talk to you about fishing or tattoos or anything. I'll talk to you about a lot of things, but you know what? God is still on the throne, and this message today is so timely and so relevant to what I'm sure many of you are going through that all I can tell you is this. When it comes to conflict, when it comes to kind of getting our dander up, as it said, the traditional response is stand and fight, right? Somebody ruffles our feathers, a situation, indifferences between us, and my natural inclination is to stand and fight. And I know that makes sense to you, and I know that makes sense to me, but when Paul's addressing this letter to the Philippians, he's not just addressing it to some people, he's addressing it to a what? A former colony of Roman soldiers, right? You, you forget about that sometimes. Sometimes we forget about where the book actually comes from, right? He's, he's in jail. He's himself chained to a, a centurion guard all day long. He's making the most of that, but he's writing back to one of his church plants, one of his church plants that we're going to find out today that he calls dearly loved. And in reality, it's a colony of former Roman soldiers. Oh, please don't lose words, Jeff. Here we go. Roman, Roman soldiers. All right. So if you got a book, anything, Philippians 4, 1 through 3. Turn your Bibles, turn your phones, turn your whatever you got. (laughs) Philippians 4, 1 through 3. I'm going to read this in the darkness, and then I'm going to pray. Here it goes. With a therefore, my brothers and sisters, you who I love and I long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Dear friends, I plead with you for Yodia. I plead with Syndicate to be of the same mind. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended by my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Let me pray. Father God, 
as is the opportunity each and every Sunday to study your word. There's a lot of different things fighting for our minds. There's a lot of different sounds, different things fighting for our attention. And I pray that this morning, Father, that you would just still all that, still all the waves and the wind, that we might hear clearly, if softly, Father, or if roaring like a lion, whatever it is, that we would just hear the truth of what this man who so dearly loves this body is writing to them and taking the time to say, hey, look, write this down, read it, and remember it. It will be a great encouragement for you if you can. Father, I pray that this morning that we can stand in the truth that is the word of God. Asking your son's precious and holy name, amen. So he called them dearly loved. He called them mature believers, right? Back in chapter three, when he first addressed his letters, he said, I'm gonna address the mature believers. Now, mature believers are the ones that have come to Christ and they're moving from milk to meat. He knows that they're believers and he knows that you and I are believers because he references the book of life. And if our name's written in the book of life, then we know that we are talking about someone who's saved. And he's talking about people who, who come from the Roman background, right? A Roman centurion, a former Roman centurion, Rome, Roman soldiers are going to understand Roman loyalties very well. And so he has to address all those different things. But the thing that baffles my mind, just before I even got started with the passage, is you realize that Rome invaded Israel, right? Rome is the one who destroyed Israel, burned down the temple and all these things. These guys are part of that legacy. That's heavy. Because here's someone who's a Jew of the Jews, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, the highest of the heap, in prison, right? I don't know the last time you were in prison or in some, ty- some type of, you know, locked up by yourself, and you have a time to reflect on the things that really matter to you, and you think about this church, and you start writing the terms dearly beloved and longed for. And yet you're referencing Roman soldiers who invaded your homeland and destroyed it. See, the word of God is one of those things that purges everything. It makes all things new. And that's what Paul is. Paul is not just like one of those speakers or teachers. He's living out exemplary for these guys to say, hey, look, I want you to think of yourselves like I think of you, like how the Lord thinks of you. You may not think of yourself in this way, but this is what the Lord says. You are. You're not only my joy, but you're my crown. Now, that's a cool one because... Although we just say crown in English, and we might just reference a crown, we might go to Princess Diana, one of the benefits of Greek is it kind of delineates different crowns. And this particular, come in, Lord. Uh, And this particular crown is very specific. This is the Olympic olive wreath, right? And the reason why that's kind of cool is there's different crowns in the Bible, but Paul is referencing this people group as his Olympic olive olive wreath. That's the highest crown that you can get when you what? When you run. But yet I kind of think about something about when I think about Paul and just kind of what he's already been teaching me. The reality is there's another crown in the Bible that makes more sense. There's a crown called the crown of joy. You guys know we're running a race. If you guys ever heard the term run the race is to win, the gentleman who wrote that's writing this. Run the race to win, because there's a crown. There's five crowns, and the crown of joy is the one assigned to people who what? Who lead others to Christ. The crown of joy 
who lead others to Christ. And yet, that, isn't that that's what he's referencing? You, my beloved, you, the people I long for, you are my crown. But he is so humble, even in chains, everything this man has been through, that he says, no, I don't want you to think I'm already thinking of the heavenly prize, but is the highest earthly prize, the simple olive wreath. Man, I started going on about the other crowns and thinking about Paul. There's a crown for righteous living. Righteous living. Is there anyone trying to live more righteous than Paul? Chained to a Roman centurion? In prison? Snake bitten? All the different things that we've talked about? And yet, how is he living? Righteously. Another crown, the crown of glory for those who do what? Who fulfill their task. And you talk about staying on point. This man could, no one else could distract this man from the task that was given to him. Paul was so focused on staying on task. Prison, snakes, nothing. If you watch the entire ministry of Paul as he goes on. How long did he go on? Well, two-thirds of the entire New Testament is written by who? By Paul. This man is fulfilling the task. Which, of course, leads me to the incorruptible crown. The incorruptible crown, we're all eligible for the incorruptible crown, right? When the, when the beam of seed of judgment occurs, for the world or for those of the people not in Christ, it's going to be a different situation. For the believer, at least there's the opportunity for the incorruptible crown to be given right away. That is for the believer. And you and I, hopefully today, are absolutely confident of the incorruptible crown. But there's one final crown that Paul was eligible for, the crown of life. And what's so cool about this, I know this is a giant sidebar, by the way, but this is just how my mind works. The crown of life is for those who give their life martyrdom for Christ or persevere under extreme adversity and trial. I mean, is there anyone more exemplary of the person doing that than Paul? By the way, Paul makes no claim to any of those. I just think that it's another message in God's word that sometime I would love to teach you guys. But it just reminds me, like, when humility is at the forefront of all you say and all that you do, you can live in such a way that your actions speak louder than your words. And that's going to be really important for what we're about to teach today. So let me jump back in. Remember this. When you write a letter to someone, you're writing it so that your words last longer than the conversation. Right? I'm writing the words so that you can remember them refer back to them, and always know how to act upon them when that situation arises. And eventually, in verse 3, we found out there's a situation, um, a discourse between two people that are having an argument. And the reality is, if it breaks unity in the church, if an argument, a situation, a conversation, or whatever, if it breaks unity in the church, fall back to this position. Fall back to this understanding. So what does it start with? It always starts with a therefore. What's it there for? It's therefore telling you all the stuff that Pastor Eric gave you last week is the cornerstone for which this house is being built upon. Trust me, it is. I absolutely agree with your phone. It's trust, right? Those three cornerstones from last week, the first one that you're NOTW. Were you guys here for that clothing line, not of this world? Did any of you know? No one was here? Great, now I'm really old. So there was a clothing line that, uh, that said N-O-T-W on everything. It was not of this world, right? And bumper stickers. Bumper stickers, too. And you remember what that means is you're a citizen of heaven first. A citizen of heaven first. I got, sometimes when I'm studying God's word, like, 
just the way that God works in my head, like a word will pop into my mind and I, I started thinking about something. Ambassador. Ambassador. Now, it's a fishing reel as well, so of course that makes perfect sense. Ambassador. Ambassador. Okay. Do any of you, if you, you have a fun little Google search when you guys get home with your family and your life groups questions, Google the term and study what the word ambassador means. An ambassador is very specific. An ambassador is sent from one kingdom to another kingdom. When he arrives or she arrives from one kingdom to the other kingdom, they only have one primary objective. To relay the information from this kingdom to this kingdom. They don't bring any of their own wants, wishes, or desires with them. They are exclusively an ambassador of this kingdom. If it's you are a United citizen and we send you to another country, you represent the wants, wishes, and desires of the U.S. wherever you go. So once they arrive here, what else happens? They have special privileges, special powers, and special abilities, right? You guys are going to be fascinated by this when you study this and see the correlation. And what do we have as believers? Powers, privileges, and abilities. To do what? To represent the kingdom that we're from. Not our wants, wishes, and desires. Not my discussion about what happened this week. And let me tell you how mad I am. Because I'm sure some of you want to have that conversation. If you do, Monday through Thursday, 9 to 2, my door is always open. Come on in, let's talk. But you're an ambassador from a kingdom who gave you a responsibility. So because of that, number two, you have things to do. Right? You don't just get your privileges and your little flag on your car so you can drive down the street and not get tickets. You can't be litigated against. I mean, when you really take some time to look at the privilege, that, it's like some people take that ambassadorship and then use it for all the things that it provides. That's not what it's for. It's so that you can get to wherever you need to go quickly and proficiently. Why? Because you represent a king and you brought that information to another kingdom and you need to live accordingly to provide that information for whoever you represent. You don't have to be an ambassador. If you ever get an opportunity to meet an ambassador, I want you to ask them how long and how many people tried to get the position that they have. Right? They say, like, for the police department or the fire department, like, six or 800 people try to go out for one position. I can only imagine how many people would prefer to have the privilege of being an ambassador. And nothing about what they have to do every day is what's going through their head. What goes through their head is what they get to do every day on behalf of this kingdom which they represent. And then that final point from last week. So because of that, stand firm in this, that God is using all things, whatever adversity you're going through this week, pick and choose. There's a, there's a myriad and multitude of adversity from this week. Pick whatever one is still overwhelming your mind and realize something. God is sovereignly using everything for his kingdom. Romans 8 tells us that. You may hate that verse and you may not want to hear it right now, but it already tells us that all things are working together. If you can stand firm and not fight, but just stand firm, you will be absolutely blown away by the power of God that is released. And that is the essence of what we're going to talk about this morning in a second. Stand firm in what, Pastor? 
it says stand firm, and it's urging us to stand firm, but stand firm in what? Well, first of all, let me just clarify something. The standing firm that Paul is talking about is not urging you, hey, if you have the opportunity, if you can, if your knees are good, if you haven't had surgery recently, stand whenever the opportunity presents yourself and, and fight. That's not what he's saying. This is a imperative command. An imperative command. An imperative command means keep on standing. This is the one thing sometimes where pastors and I think seminary really helps us. It's like you, anyone can study the Bible. And at whatever level you have, it's kind of like a 12-layer lasagna. Wherever you start tearing the lasagna apart is good. Cheesy top layer, good. You know, regatta cream layer, good. If you get through the whole thing, great. But God is one of those things, and, and the Greek language is one of those things where all of a sudden you tear a word apart and you realize something. That means something different than when we say stand. Continually standing is different than just stand. And the reason why that's so important is next week, verse 4, which I'm not doing, but Josh is going to help us with next week. Josh gets keep on rejoicing. See, the letter is connected, right? It's one fluid thought. He's writing it at one time to one group of people. And so it's a continuum of that thought. Keep on standing. Keep on rejoicing. Josh, you're going to have fun with that next week. I can't wait for that. But what about the ability to stand? What about the power to stand as the desert, the, de uh, the devil is with desert, as the devil is working against you? Why is it when we talk about standing and power, we always fall back to the armor of God? I was trained in the armor of God. I know you know the armor of God. Most pastors have like a helmet or a shield or some giant silvery sword in their you know, pastoral office. And we're all kind of trained in this mindset of Ephesians 6, this idea that we've put on the armor of God to do what? To fight. To go out there and, you know, tear down our enemies, the people who don't believe like we believe and think like we think. And I think Proverbs 14, 12 spoke to me. It says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. Right? Because, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Then I read that and I think, is that good thinking or is that stinking thinking? It's stinking thinking. Because if you read Ephesians 6, 10, it says it verbatim three times what we're supposed to do. Have you ever read the Bible so many times and you're like, where has that been the whole time that I read that? By the way, texting, never take what someone texts you at face level. This week, Pastor Eric introduced me to acacia berry. I don't know. It's some kind of superfood. You guys say it like everyone knows what it is. I don't eat that junk. I don't need, it, it looked like purple dirt. And he made me pay 11 bucks for it. And he's like, isn't this great? I'm like, dude, we said we're going to lunch and you hand me a bowl of dirt. He's, and he's taking pictures of me. I wasn't going to bring you the pictures. They're not that exciting, but it's, it's a giant bowl of purple dirt. So I text my wife, eating superfood. She gets the text, eating meat soup. And based on what it looks like, her response was, oh, my God, what's wrong with you? Uh, by the way, it tasted like meat soup. And it did weird things to my body for three days. <laughs> Pastor Eric, we need to talk about that. How can I stand firm wearing armor of God? I got a lot of things going on in my brain right now. 
Let's read this so that I'm not saying something that I want you to hear, and let's just read what God's Word actually says. When in doubt, just read God's Word. I'm, I believe that God's Word speaks clearly if we would just... So let me just do like Ephesians 6, 10 through 14. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. There's a little indicator right there, the strong in the Lord and the power of his might, the opening line, missed that. Put on the whole armor of God that when, you can't, uh, when you're able, you will be able to what? Stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual weaknesses of high places, Wherefore, take ye the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil of the day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Did we miss that? Did you miss that the first time, second time, the third time, the fourth time? It's like we've missed something in translation that's been there the whole time. It never said fight. But you said, what about the rest of the gear, Pastor Jeff? Get to the rest of the gear. There's some fighting gear in there. Okay. The breastplate of righteousness? I don't, how do you fight with the breastplate of righteousness, right? Isn't that protecting your chest and your vital organs? Um, the shield of faith? Shield. I guess you could fight with a shield, but it seems pretty self-explanatory. It's a shield. Uh, the helmet of salvation? That's good. So when stuff's being shot or whatever, it's protecting. What are you going to attack with your... I mean, you're not going to attack them with your helmet. And all these other things. But it's, what is this one? What about the sword of the spirit? The sword of the spirit is God's word. It's not the sword of the... Peter tried the sword. It's not the sword. It's the sword of the spirit. And why do we know that's what you're supposed to be using? Think about another time in the Bible where someone was tempted. Jesus comes to mind. And how did Jesus deal with the devil? He's not dealing with angels or principles. He's dealing with the devil specifically. Jump from this place and I'll give it to you. See this kingdom and I'll give it. Every single situation the devil asked or threatened Jesus with, how did he respond? Scripture says, man does not live by bread alone. Scripture says, right? It's a spiritual sword. It's a completely different mindset of how we stand and fight. It's not, that's not what we need to do. When we stand, what we need to do, it ended by saying this. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the spirit. What that ultimately says, church, is this. There's only one offensive weapon we have. We do have one. You're not on the battlefield not doing anything. You only have one offensive weapon while you have the armor of God on. Prayer. And that's why the first thing I always remind people is when they say, oh, I really can't do anything, let me pray. I always say, Rewind that. Man, if the devil convinces you that the only thing that you can do is pray, you have just taken the only thing that you can do that's of any value and completely thrown it away. Prayer is how you call in the artillery that obliterates your enemy, that brings heaping coals to your enemy. You say, Pastor Jeff, Sometimes pastors have this freedom to speak and create this ethereal picture. And I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can read that. Man, just turn to the scripture. Exodus 17, what an example of this power of prayer. This guy, just a small man, his name's Moses. He's leading this people group, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He's in the desert being chased by this group called the Amalekites. 
Seems like everything that ends with ites in the Bible is always bad, right? The Malachites, Hittites, Amorites. And they're going to go into this great big battle. And it's overwhelming. See, Israel wasn't an army on the move. It was a people group escaping. Right? Not exactly the most ideal scenario to fight an organized army. And what does the Lord tell him in Exodus 17, 11? So it came about when Moses stood, he went to a mountaintop and he stood and he held his hands up that Israel prevailed, prevailed and when his hands went down, Amalek prevailed. Eventually Moses became weary and so Aaron and Hur, he brought them up there on top of the mountain with them. They responded by holding his arms up until what? Israel prevailed and won the battle. Now, there are some people fighting in the valley in this particular situation, but where's the real fight taking place? On the hill. And the spiritual leader of the people is reminding them, our power to call in artillery, our power to have victory over the day, our power is not your power. Matter of fact, our power is so, I'm already so weak to just hold, this doesn't seem too bad. I mean, some of you guys do worship like this the whole time. Pastor Eric could worship like, I think Pastor Eric would have been really good for this. He's got this position down pretty good. But how long is the battle that standing like this at some point you're on? Think about how long that battle is going. If you have time once again this week and for your aerobic exercise, see how long you can stand with your arms up. Because it goes on so long that he needs physical support from his left and from his right, from Aaron and her to do this. And he wins the day. Oh, Pastor Jeff, you can find any story, can't you? I'm telling you, you, you just type in there, battles won by standing. How about this one, King Jehoshaphat? The name like that, he's not hard to find, right? King Jehoshaphat, Second Chronicles 2016. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up against you from the valley of the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in the front of the wilderness of Jeruel. And you need not fight in this battle. Simply station yourselves Stand and see that the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah, O Jerusalem, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you, and they're destroyed. Now, when I hear something as simple as stand, and it takes away the onus from me getting to do what I feel like I've been trained to do, and my job is simply to stand in the armor of God and put my head down and pray and say, Lord, you fight this battle. You fight this adversity. You fight this injustice that's been placed in front of me. It seems like it's missing something. Like for me, it's like, but what do I stand in? Like my own strength, I'm not able of my own accord to do that. I'm a simple man, and I always do what simple men always ultimately end with. I go to scripture, and I, and I started asking, Paul, did you give us some insight of what we're supposed to stand for? Or how about what we're supposed to stand in? Right? Like, for what? What are the causes? What are the things worthy? And how do we do this? And, and it's Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It's all right there. The first one he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 3.8, he said, For now we truly live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Standing firm in the Lord. See, the very first thing he gives us to stand in so that we can have unity, so that we can be of one mind, so that the one another's can exist, is the foundation of salvation. Right? The, 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 the address in 317 is to mature believers, so you should understand who you are. You're moving from milk to meat, 
And whenever you get to that situation where you now agree to disagree and it's causing disunity in the body of God, you're taking away your first love, Philadelphia. You're losing your ability to, to speak the death, burial, and resurrection so that the lost can come to the Lord. You're now making it this internal thing where Christians want Christians to be more Christians or more Christian-like than the other Christian. And he's saying, you've lost all that. Fall back to this. What are you in Christ? You're a sinner. You are a sinner just like every other sinner that's ever hung on a cross, you are a sinner in need of a savior. You need redemption for your sins. You need to be cleansed of your sins. You need to be made new again. Man, you need hope. You need a hope like nobody else. And you need faith to believe that Jesus did and said what he said and did. If you fall back to this, if we fall back to being in the Lord first and foremost, we will always find common ground to stand in. Which leads to the second point that I found. He said, 2 Thessalonians, same book, next uh, sequence of it, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to what? To the teachings that we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Stand firm in the teachings of God's word, that it is truth. You know, the term absolute truth when I was growing up as a kid was something that everyone believed and understood. Now, whether we liked it or not, there was the idea that there was an absolute truth was definitive. Church, as we sit here today in November of 2020, if you want to know what the ultimate heartbreak of where this nation is going and why we're so confused, the definitive factor of absolute truth is gone. It's been replaced with relative truth. And they will tell you, that's your truth, that's not my truth. Verbatim, over and over and over and over again. And they've lost that great hope that let them walk on water if they did what? Fix your eyes on the absolute truth that is. Then you can walk on water. But if your eyes are pulled to the left and the right and the waving seas and the storms and the wind and the... He said, don't be like that. Then how are you supposed to be fixed on what scripture says? There is absolute truth. You may not absolutely understand it, but it still is God's word. And it will happen exactly how he said. Jesus' temptations, every situation, the bottom line is, is what truth is, is not relative. The greatest disservice that you will do your unbelieving friend is to tell them, well, since you don't want to hear, I won't bother you. Church, the day they stand before the beam of seat of Christ and the holiness and radiance that is our Lord and Savior, like the man covered by the well whose tongue was so burning he simply wanted touched with some water and he could not get past the impasse. He pleaded with them, what? Can you at least send someone to my brothers and my sisters so they don't, they don't come to this place? You've got to hold fast to the truth. You've got to stand firm in the truth of God. It doesn't matter if you understand what's going on in your situations or surroundings. Have you really ever understood what's going on around you? Why did that become the new imperative for peace and tranquility in your life if you understand what's going on around you? What else can you stand faith in? You can stand in the faith that is the faith. 1 Corinthians 6.13. Be on your guard. 
Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous and be strong. What is the faith? The faith is realizing that you are not sufficient. I know a lot of you are big Martin Luther fans and you like to read uh, scriptures and stuff from seminary, but if you happen to, you're going to come across something called the three soles, right? And this is one of the primary soles that he believed in, sole fide, Latin for faith alone. Guys, you cannot add anything to the absolute truth that is salvation in Christ. Do you see, do you see the connection? Do you see the thread running back through all of it? The only way we get to stand firm and not fight in the, and stand firm in the Lord and say, Lord, you fight the battle. You rue the day. Why? Because it's your kingdom and your kingdom is going to come. And they're not going to stop it. No one's going to stop it. You know, he's going to recreate here something that once was, which currently does not exist in the way that it was designed. And you can stand firm in that faith and, and realize, well, what do I have to do with it? As an ambassador, what does an ambassador have to do with the country they represent? Nothing other than they've been chosen to go represent it. And haven't you been chosen like I to receive the gift of God? What did you do to deserve it? What could I do to deserve it? I'm a sinner, saved by grace. Galatians 5.1 tells me this, B, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be purchased or burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Liberty. We have freedom in Christ. If you don't eat fish, and I love to eat fish, then guess what? I'm not going to eat fish with you. Why? Because it says, do not bring your brother down. Brothers and sisters have stronger and weaker components to them, and be considerate of the brother. Do I think less of him? No. Am I still going to Rubio's twice a week for black and mahi tacos? Yes, because they're delicious. And you have to be crazy to pay $12 for a taco, but it's so delicious. But if you say, you know, Brother Jeff, you're killing that free swimming fish, and God made the ocean, and you start going down that road, we're done. The conversation about fish or fishing is done, just out of respect for you, in freedom, in Christ, for you to believe that. Is that salvation, folks? No, it's not. Why do we choose to fight and battle brothers and sisters in Christ for things that is not salvation? We only have one primary goal as ambassadors from that world to this world. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that the lost may come into this kingdom. And anything in between that is discussable and anything in between that is plausible. But if it causes division in the body of Christ, it is up to us to put it on the shelf and say, you know what? If an Angel fan and a Dodger fan can live next door to each other and be best friends, then you guys can figure it out. Right? Now, the gentleman who came up here and spoke this morning, Mike, Mike is a hardcore St. Louis fan. So talk about being really confused about red and blue. In the Jones family, it's St. Louis, Cardinals, and Clarissa's the clear-speaking one, which most women are, is the Dodger fan. Once again, though, another version of red and blue living in peace, husband and wife. You better be living in peace, Mike. <laughs> Don't ruin my story, brother. And ultimately, what can we stand firm in? Philippians 1.27. Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, church, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then... 
whether I come to you and see you only or hear about you in my absence, I will know that you what? Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. We have to stand in unity. But Pastor Jeff, you don't understand what happened this week. How can I be united with this person who thinks so diametrically different than I do? Because you're talking about your kingdom and another kingdom, which is exclusively temporal, right? Your wants, wishes, and desires, and my, most of the time we're talking about things that are temporal, if the word of God is the word of God, church, you always need to fall back on the word of God. Now, it's great having pastors, it's great having friends, it's great having elders and mothers and fathers, but you need to fall back on the word of God. Because the word of God says, don't lay your treasures up where moth and rust and thieves can steal, but instead, what? Store in heaven where they can't be touched because you're, you're running a race. Do you, you guys all realize that? You're like, I'm not fit for running a race. You are running a race. Everyone in here is running a race. It's the spiritual race. And you are running it, Paul says, you should be running it in such a way as to win the crown. Not, participation awards are not the primary goal of the church. I apologize to every TV person, Whoever got a participation award, I apologize to you. That is not your primary calling in Christ. You do not stand firm in your participation. You stand firm in the fact that Jesus said he's enough. And if you're with him, then you're on the winning team. And you have a job to do. Represent my kingdom well, people. What about the guy who buried 